how do you pronounce your name? <laughs> okay, my name is Jennifer Nansubuga Makombi. I ask you to pick a song that captures your writing journey of the first woman slash a woman is a body of water. The song I saw, I chose is uh, Wale Wale by Chameleon. <laughs> stories are actually actual stories that I picked from I, my oral tradition because it's talking about Mwenkanonkano, the indigenous feminist thought. Our mothers, they wrote all these ideas in folk tales, but they coded them. And now what I am doing is decoding. Welcome to Books and Rhymes, the podcast that celebrates the joy of reading by flipping the script with a musical twist on your favourite books. I invite guests to pair books with songs or albums that spark the same emotional connection. I'm your host, Sarah, a West African in the diaspora with a deep abiding love for the written word. Join me as I take you on a musical journey through the works of new and classic authors. In today's episode, we conclude our two-part conversation with Jennifer Nansunbuga Makumbi the critically acclaimed author of two novels and a collection of short story, whose recent novel, The First Woman, is published in the USA as A Girl is a Body of Water. We discuss the significance of Labi Sifre's song Something Inside So Strong in Makumbi's migration experience and her treatment of indigenous feminism in relation to Western feminism in her latest novel, The First Woman, and the parallels between Chintu and Things Fall Apart. Subscribe, rate and review Books and Rhymes, the podcast on Apple Podcasts and all podcast listening platforms. I ask you to pick a song that captures your writing journey of the first woman slash a woman is a body of water, which is your recently published book, which I read and I just love. Oh, my goodness. And I can't wait for you to talk about it. Oh, God. Thank you for asking for that. And the song I I chose is uh, Wale Wale by Chameleon. Now... That is a Ugandan musician. Again, there are times when I just go Ugandan. Uh, just turn, get the, the, get on the computer, get on YouTube, and I go chameleon all day long, just going through his music and just dancing away like mad. But the reason I chose this song is that, you know, it starts with the trumpet, and the trumpet is so Western-looking, yeah. However, all through, and, and, and when you see the video, this boy, he's dressed very Western, very, um, a very aware of the, the new fashion, you know, and he's like trumpeting to the world. I'm coming, I'm arriving. But all throughout the song, he's just looking back to Africa, to what he's leaving behind, or to the rural village, or if he's going to the city.
but it, it reminded me of my departure from Africa. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to the West and I'm going to write. And I've been writing you guys. <laughs> it's like I never left. I'm like, what? What is going on here? And, and so, um, and, and, and when I was looking at listening to it, you know, I noticed that the colors that in the video are so similar to the color of the first woman. I thought, did she know? Honestly, I, I recommend that you watch <laughs> you watch the video. But uh, Chameleon, I also he the Uglish is another thing. He 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 thinks in English, part of it is in English, but it's Ugandan English. And part of it is um Swahili, which is very East African. Mm-hmm. And of course, part of it is Uganda, which it's like you know. It's that thing of Ugandans that, you know, I'm going to share this song with the world, but there's a little bit for you Ugandans. Just to, just to take you a little bit further, you know, so that you listen to and you say, yes, brother, I get you. I know what you're saying. Uh, and it's mainly saying, you know, you know, do whatever you do, but do, don't leave, don't hold back. Just give it your all. There's one thing I noted with the first woman slash a woman is a body of water. But before we start talking about it, why do Americans insist on publishing your book on a different titles, please? Uh, <laughs> I know it's, it's like, it's like I'm accusing you, like, please, why? <laughs> do you know how much I've been uh, defending? everywhere i go (laughs) everywhere i go i'm defending the american title (laughs) first of all it's a good it's a fantastic title that speaks to a certain aspect of the novel yes but the reason that the americans could not publish it under the first woman is that uh, they've, they've had a lot of books and the whole idea of the first woman is very prevalent, you know, like the first woman in space, now the first woman president in dead, or Ginsburg, you know, they thought that they, and in that title, Americans would look at it and imagine that they would go in a very different direction. And because um, Chintu was not as successful out there as it was in, in, in in uh the uk and yeah. and outside now in yeah. the uk the people are aware that chintu is the first man the titles are speaking to each other but in the us it, it didn't work like that so had i been well known because now chintu is being read more than now than it was before because people are discovering it through the first woman if it had been um that successful before then it would have made sense that the you know you can say that that yeah these books are in conversation so that that is why let's tell the story properly i wasn't so happy about that because there had been another book by the commonwealth which had been Mm -hmm. with my title but i think because my earlier publisher was very tiny they thought that they could use the title of a, 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 an award-winning short story to, you know, to promote it. 
I imagine that when you're writing a book, you would have certain titles swirling through your head. Yes. Because a title, in like writing essays, the title tells you what you're doing. It gives you a focus, a vision, a direction. Yeah, it's where I record what I want to do. Mm. So I always go back to the title and it reminds me, that's what you're doing. This is what you're doing. Which were the titles that you attributed to the books when you were writing them? And did the titles make it? Were they published under those titles? And if yes, how do you then reconcile writing towards this title and then having the title renamed? Like having your child renamed, how do you reconcile yeah. that? Um, so what happens is that, so I wrote under the first woman. Yeah, so that, that, that's what I wrote under. And I wrote under Manchester Happened. But uh, the, uh, uh, the titles are changed even sometimes after editing. Some, so I don't write to the title. The title then must... Um, relate itself, make itself comfortable in the book. So nothing is changed really. So, uh, and, and, and uh, Americans love uh, a girl is a body of water. You know, they also wonder how the first woman, the first thing I was told this title wins the award of a title, you know. And I've also met Africans who say, oh, I like the American title better. So I'm, I'm, I'm very okay, comfortable. What I'm not comfortable with um, are Africans who are ordering both books. Like I told you, cover ho, book ho, speaking to you right now, except I bougified by H-E-A-U-X, you know what I mean? Do you know how many books I have with different titles? I bought a book by, I think it was Gwendolyn by Buchia Metita. Ah. I bought the American edition of the book without realizing it. I have Gwendolyn and I also have The Family, which is the American ah. title of the book. Ugly cover, but that's a different story. I didn't realize I was buying two titles of the same book. With Dinah McGensty, The Beautiful Things That Heaven Bears, ah. published in America as Beautiful Things That Heaven Bears, but in the UK as Children of the Revolution. Both titles, so Beautiful Things That Heaven Bears is derived from a line in Dante's Inferno. And ah. yeah, it's like derived from, I think, the last line in the book. And then the Children of the Revolution is derived from the popular song. Da, 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 Children of the Revolution. And the song is referenced. Both the song is referenced in the book and the Dante's quote is referenced in the book because the protagonist is like a Dante fan. But if you don't know, you buy two yeah. copies of the same book without realizing yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, it was because the books already are very expensive to Africans. So someone ordering two books... You know, and so I, I, I went through a, a, a situation where I was, oh my God, oh my God, Africans are going to order. But then I just made sure that the people who are talking about it would write both the titles. And I was so glad that you're using both titles. So going into the analysis of The First Woman, you employed many devices in The First Woman. At the beginning, we are introduced to our protagonists. How is her name pronounced again, please? Again, it's like Chinto, Chirabo. K is Ch, Chirabo. K-I, K-I. So you you know the musician Chiwanuka? Yeah, oh! He's not Kiwanuka. And the B is quite silent. Very. Yeah, that's why uh, our country is Uganda. It's supposed to be Buganda, but the, the British couldn't hear the B. It's already the 
is silent. You've mentioned the, her first encounter with, with Ntati. Mm-hmm. The way you wrote the story, the literary devices that you used, I enjoyed how you wove storytelling, mythology into the narrative structure. And you did this through the character of yes, Nsuta. Uh, Nsuta. You did it through the character of Nsuta. Chirabo is on the quest for something. And she goes to Ntuta for the answer to it. This this elusive secret that nobody wants to tell her. Yeah. And then in a way, sort of like giving a child candy, she gives her stories. But not just any stories, stories of the matriarchs. Not just any matriarchs, the mythological matriarchs. Not just any mythological matriarchs, but didactic mythological matriarchs. Not just but feminist didactic mythological yes. matriarchs yes before even then Chirabo is a storyteller she loves stories so we're introduced to her as a storyteller I made a note that in Chintu you showed us right and the same with the first woman mm-hmm. we witnessed we experienced we felt these characters because you you showed them to us but in the first woman a character is telling us. Yeah. So where writers are advised to show, don't tell, you told. Yes. And you showed. Yes. Talk to us about that decision, please. Oh, God. Um, now, because I have a 12-year-old narrator, she is not capable of understanding everything that is going on around her. Okay. And also those stories, they are operating at two levels. The stories are operating, are operating at her level as a child, but they are operating as very, very mature stories. Okay. And so I, I wanted to tell them from a very, from Chiravo's point of view. And I was going to trust you, the readers, to interpret those stories. Uh, so uh, the way, because these two people, uh, Suta is telling the stories from a grown-up point of view. Chiravo is understanding them from a child point of view. And you, the reader, are in the middle there. Yeah, you are supposed to understand those stories from an adult point of view. So, for example, uh, I'll tell you, remember the story about the Lukokowe? This is the woman who steps out, the old woman, and, and then a, a young boy, a young lad, swapping yard comes along. Exactly. So Chilavo tells this story with a very straight face. It's about, it's about a horrible old woman. And Tiunsuta says, mm, she's a widow. And she's like, yeah, she's a widow, yeah. So, yeah, but you know, that's what happens when young old men marry virgins, which means, you know, she's a widow because Perhaps she married at 14, 
to an an old man who was 40. So the man has died. Mm. So she's not an old woman. But Chiravo does not know at all what is going on. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and and later she 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 called her stepmother, Lukokome, absolutely having no idea what that book. I mean, yes, um, it's a feminist story that, that um that is talking about how women sexuality was controlled mm-hmm. at time, but she hadn't uh, connected the sexual element to the story. So she applies it. You, the reader, are supposed to see that this is a story that talks about women's sex. So when this woman, a young man comes along and says, can you carry me? Okay, and she jumps on his back, locks the arms and whatever. And then she goes, he goes walking around around in circles all night. This is the idea that women in at a certain age in their forties, that they are sexually insatiable. The, the idea that women's libido is just, it goes round. It's not libidinous, it's not linear, you know, from beginning, Huddling to the end of, of release, that it goes around in circles and returns in circles. So Chilevo is telling this story. It's sort of like, um, it reminds me of the European, that sort of nymphomaniac. Good sexual uh-huh. appetite is demonized. Yeah, it's uh, these days they are called cougars. Oh, yes. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And this woman is preparing her and telling her, Look, all these stories are about the control mm. of, mm. you know, that, that, that she's saying to her, you love the folktale, but the folktale is not your friend. All the folktale is about control of women as stepmothers, girls as ugly stepsisters, girls as clever, rather intelligent uh very beautiful and proud, you know, uh, and therefore they marry ogres who eat them. You know, it's 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 all about the control of women, you know. But uh, Chilevo at that point was not ready to understand, but Nsuta has no option. This child is going to be taken away from her, you know. And so she hopes that she has given her enough that Chilevo would look back to and say, oh yeah, Suta told me. Oh yeah, now it makes sense. But 
I use that because then you, the reader, you work out all of that. Between Nsuta and Chirabo, Nsuta is speaking as an old woman, Chirabo is speaking as a child, but you, the reader, is supposed to see it from Nsuta's point of view. So this is why I tell, because this story is not saying what is, it's the same story that Chirabo tells, it's the same with the story that Chilabo tells at the beginning. Chilabo is telling her story. That is her story, but she has no idea. And for the reader, it's until you get to the end that you look back and you say, oh. But those, all those stories are actually actual stories that I picked from I, my oral tradition. And yes. And they are telling these stories because I am talking to Ugandans and saying, look, look back to these stories. Our ancestors, we know, because it's talking about Mwenkanonkano, the indigenous um, feminist thought. And um, I, I am saying to Ugandans that, you know what? Our mothers recorded their feminist thought in these stories, you go back. Because women, as we said before, they held the heavy words under their tongues, that they beat their tongues before, they could not articulate. They wrote all these ideas in folk tales, but they coded them. And now what I am doing is decoding. So, but I'm not going to decode it for you. I, put it in the story and you decode. But then I think that what you're doing is you are giving, whilst to me, yes, you are decoding the story, but I think you are giving the reader the key to decode the story. Because if I'm going to um, follow the, 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 your assertion that you are decoding the story, then to me, it seems like there is a true, there's a double decoding going on because you told multiple folk tales yes in the book but these folk tales then go on to feature in other aspects of the story Absolutely. along the line so there are Absolutely. characters who then become embodiments yes of these folk tales and the, th the thing is that entirety does not explain all the stories to travel explicitly yeah. Like, as you alluded, Chirabo, Untate is concerned that Chirabo is going to move away. And yes. she's preparing her for the violence the of patriarchy. Because yes. that's, she's saying that, and it's said explicitly in the book, patriarchy is mentioned explicitly in the beginning, within, in the context of Untate educating, yes. because that is, that's, that's what's going on here. Go in case it comes, you, uh, her name is Insota. And so I'm like Ntate. Ntate is like the love, the 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 guy who fancies her. That, that is true, and and um and I because I knew that my readers trust me. I know that anybody who read Chintu and understood it would come to this book and say, "Yeah, I know she is going to come through for me." So if you have not interpreted the stories the way. I hope you have decoded. Then you're going to see Chiravo. <laughs> Either make a mess of them. <laughs> and then you will start to realize, oh, she starts to leave them. 
oh, she starts to understand them and say, oh, okay, this is what Insuta talked about. So you, you are you are working with Chirabu. So this is why when you read it, you're like, you are telling. Yes, I'm telling, but sweetheart, you're working harder. <laughs> it's like, I'm telling you so you know. Yeah, yeah. The path you're about to walk on. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So Because I know, I know as you get to parts like uh, when she's in boarding school, you're going to start looking back and say, huh, what did sort of say about this? Huh? <laughs> that board, I wasn't prepared. I wasn't ready for the boarding school bit. And there, were, there are so many climaxes in The First Woman. The Fire for Fire. And I like that you mentioned the Muen Kano Kano because that was a, that's a recurring phrase throughout the book. Yes. Muen Kano Kano. And I, I, am, I noted one in particular. I find it interesting how CEO is positioned within the framework of yes. patriarchy and feminism. Yes. How, at the beginning, I mean, I felt, and I felt a physical shift in my heart at his, that sort of, oh, I'm not going to say anything, but oh, <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, I'm feeling something. What is this? What is this emotion I'm feeling? And then there was a conversation between him and Chirabo. And where he said, this is page 219, and he says, as I said before, I believe in Wen Kano Kano. It is wrong to disfigure. Da, 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 da. Yeah, 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 yeah. He is stating, and this is him like pitching, laying his flag, like, boom, this is where I stand. Yes. And then it's one thing to say it. It is another thing to do it yeah, and to uh, live it. Yeah. And so this is to me about the gray lines that you paint with your characters yes you sort of play with morality a lot with your yeah. work yeah there's a play on morality here um there's a play on trust who do you trust yeah. in this universe yeah it also speaks to you the reader as well how much birth do you give people to be human yeah in not just a character's behavior but a character's response to another character's behavior that affects them Yes. So there's a lot of there's a lot of conflict that takes place in the first woman. There are some conflict that are exposed at the beginning, and there are some conflicts that friendships that become conflicted. Yes. There's a lot of untrustworthiness, and yes. there is a lot of hypocrisy as yes. well. Hypocrisy yes. in CEO saying that you know laying his flag as a word kind of and then yeah. uh, so british more kind of like that's what you said oh jesus you know? <laughs> just remember me saying Okonkwo. <laughs> <laughs> our names have suffered our names have suffered so like i said about this sort of hypocrisy then you have abby yes her auntie slash yeah. Mother and mothering. I like the fluidity of mothering in yes. your work and in the universe of your work. And you do explain it in the novel as well. So we're not going to go into that. You do explain the significance of mothering and why mothering takes on different forms. But Abby is a character who, once again, we're introduced to her as this bam. Yeah. Wen Kano Kano. But then you ask yourself, are you really 
Ay, ay, ay. Ay, especially where Sio is concerned. Are you really? It reminds me when you're talking about Nsuta preparing Chirabo for the world. There yes. is a parting where she tells her, remember when you meet other women. Remember, yeah. uh, be mindful of your yes. treatment of other women. Even if, yes. and I'm paraphrasing, even if they behave in a bad way to her too, there is always a reason yeah. behind that. Yeah. And I feel that to you. We, we react. Yeah. We don't act. Yes. I feel that that is you slipping a message in there for the reader. Remember these women whom you're going to encounter in the book. Yeah. Here's the thing. In Suta is saying that um, when you, when Kanon Kano has a theory, yeah, it, it, it's, it, we have to look at women and how we relate to each other under oppression. Okay, because under oppression, we can't fight back at the patriarchy. Often we can't fight, fight back at the men who are using the patriarchy to step down on us. But of course, they are bearing down on us and there's pressure. And that pressure must be, you know, expanded. You, you must release it. So either you turn against yourself and harm your body, which you call self-harm, or we harm each other. Okay, so we already, and often we say, oh, women are terrible to women, but we don't realize why. Because uh, I'll give you an example. There was um, when, and I'm sorry to bring this name into this uh, sacred discussion, but when um, Trump was- um, I knew that was a name. <laughs> <laughs> it just kills everything. <laughs> uh, some people just give him uh, 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 whatever, uh, a nickname, but I'll call him by his name. When he was uh, campaigning against Clinton, okay, and they got that vile tape about him. Now, he, when he was having that um it was uh, the debate with hillary he brought four women that accused bill clinton of whatever and sat them in front of hillary and these women agreed hillary had never done anything to them Mm. On the contrary, Bill had cheated on Hillary. But here was a man who had been accused by 12 women mm -hmm. of sexually assaulting them, abusing four women to come and attack a wife. Not attack, it was to intimidate. Mm. And the women agreed. Under what circumstances, tell me, sister, under what circumstances do you do that to a fellow woman or that kind of man? I thought that that was the ugliest thing I'd ever seen in public. But he, he was aware that we women, we don't fight 
people like him. We fight, we prefer to fight each other. Now those women just sat there silently and glared. They did not talk, they didn't, they just glared at Hillary. That is what Mwenkanonkano tells you, that remember, remember that that woman you're doing that too is also under pain. And, and remember that Insuta told her that one day you'll catch your man cheating with another ma- woman and you won't go for your man, you'll go for the fellow, for the woman who didn't even know about you often. But even if she knew you, she has no, she doesn't owe you anything. It's the man who owes you everything. Western feminism left all these gray areas. And this is sometimes, you know, then because that such a space has not been uh, handed, then women can turn around and say, oh, but you're talking about men, but we women are terrible to each mm. other. Or men will say, oh, but women are horrible to each other. And play us against it. So Nsuta uh, um, is a traditional, uh, an indigenous feminist. Yeah. And uh, she's rejecting Western feminism. And she is preparing this girl for, for, uh, for feminism that comes from her grand, her ancestors. Okay. And, and so this is why she says, remember, women react. They don't act. You know, but Chirabo is taking some time to work it out. Yeah. In the same way, we are also working it out on the journey of the novel. No. <laughs> you know what? I am, um, uh, the whole idea of Mwenkanonkano was something that I was doing in my uh, PhD thesis and it was rejected. So now I put, <laughs> I know, I know. Let's not even go there. No, I'm just, I'm like, yes, you're, you're, you're inserting, you're doing your work that you really wanted to do in a way that we get to read it and we're appreciating it. Yeah, absolutely. So now I am, I'm going to go back to the chapter I was writing because I only wrote a a little bit in, in the, in the novel. So now I'm going to develop the whole chapter and I hope to, uh, to give the paper in Uganda, which is fantastic because now the whole idea of Mwenkano, it's not theory written in a Western university and kept there. It's something that a Ugandan 15-year-old girl would turn around and say, mm, I, I know what Jennifer is saying, but, do you know, because mm. she owns it. Mm. Not the way the way we, we read um, other thoughts uh, written in such language that is inaccessible, you know. This is so accessible, and I would like Ugandans to go back to our mythologies and see what else is coded there. Mm. Wait, uh, Chirabo's grandmother, yes, you didn't dedicate a song to Alexa. No, I thought about it. Why? I feel betrayed on her behalf. <laughs> Oh no, I am betrayed. I don't know. Um, let me see. Where would grandmother go? Where would grandmother go to find her music? And I think I would I would have to go for a Luganda song. I think she would go to Luganda. She's a so such a conformist. 
that's the question I was going to ask because you're speaking of um, one kind of kind of one kind of kind of being quite it's it it is on its own, but it's also in the framework of the landscape of the first woman. It is also radical, and it's yeah. resistance. Yeah, it is it to the is. norm and status quo. Even though it is everyday normalized, it is also resistance. Yeah, it it is resist. First of all, is resistance to Western feminism. There's that resistance. Yes. But it, it is um, indigenous feminism, which, of course, is resistant to the patriarchy. The conversation between Western feminism and Waikano Kano, Waikano Kano. Yes. yes. You use a friendship to identify this <laughs> conflict. Yes. And tension yes. between that. So you have yes. Alicia Muka Miro. Um, yeah. the our protagonist Chirabo's grandmother, and yes. then you have Unsuta. Yes, our protagonist's other grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yes. In the way, in the same way, Moenkano Pano and Western feminism, in the same way that they are working towards the same a cause of women's liberation. Uh. Ah, I like where you're going, sister. <laughs> I like where you're going with it. I've never seen that. That is fantastic. Same cause. Yes. Different approach. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yes, I had never seen that. So there's Alexa Mukamiro. She wants the best for Chiravo. And there's Ensuta. But she was the best for Chiravo, you know, they're both bringing her up, you know. Insuta wants to bring her up to rebel. Grandmother wants to bring her up to conform because life is very hard for a woman. They're both working. And, and, you know, now that you're saying it, because now I remember grandmother saying to Suta, if we listened to what Insuta says, <laughs> she lives in the clouds, you know. The, the world would grind to a, to, to a stop. You know, that is, that is Mukamiro, but Insuta is like, no. I know there's a rebellious child in you, that child that flies out, and I am going to prepare her. I am going to prepare her for the world, you know. But at the same time, we have uh, um, Western feminism, which comes, Chirabo sees it through the conference, the 1975 uh, Women's Conference yes. in Mexico. And she hears it. And Suta is also listening, you know, but Suta is thinking, no, this is not going to work for us. This, this is just not going to work for us. So she, she, she just prepares Chirabo for it. And, and Chirabo meets it a little bit again when uh, in um, Suyo, because Suyo is packaged. His father has done a fantastic job with him, <laughs> you know, and he is so sure. He even is prepared to teach Chiao about feminism. There are certain men, you know, God help us. <laughs> uh, and so 
those uh, those feminisms are also want the best for every woman okay but they're doing it differently and i you know i had not noticed that but thank you for pointing it out the parallel between the mothers rather the grandmothers and the feminisms hmm. so this battleground is taking place in the heart and mind and the future trajectory of the young person yes indeed and you know it's another thing another exposition in the text that you're watching how these ancestry this feminist ancestry that Chiravel is inheriting that she is been inculcated with how this plays out in how she navigates the world indeed but also it also shows you that african feminism goes so far in the book it goes back to nsuta's grandmothers it goes nsuta didn't start this it, it is her grandmothers who were living in abduction yeah. who told her these stories how our children started to belong to their fathers, even though they grow in our stomachs. That's, you know, Sota was such a child when she was told these stories, you know? But uh, as she's growing older and she gets educated and she thinks about it and she goes through life as education, she builds up on it. And then when she feels that, you know, she's getting weaker, she passes it on to Chilavo. She tells Chilavo, you know what? I want you to take this. I don't know in which shape it's going to be, but you must take it forward. And so that is Mwenkano Kano. It's been, it, it's, it's not a movement. It doesn't have manifestos. They've not been uh, theorists. They, they've not been uh, movements or, or demonstrating in the, in, in the streets. But it's there. It's very local. It's very private. It's very everyday. Okay. But so, and that's the thing with feminism. It is life. Every woman fights. But most women look at it as life. They push and then sometimes they retreat. They negotiate. They cajole. You know? They compromise and then they push again forward. You know, this is how feminism has been working in Africa, but we haven't talked about it that way. We will now. Um, so, <laughs> oh, we are now. I asked you to pick a song that conveys the narrative landscape of the first woman slash a girl is a body of water. I see you're excited. <laughs> <laughs> The song that um, represents or reflects the narrative landscape of um, the first woman, a woman is a girl is a body of water, is Nikonberg's Sweet Mother. But, but like, I did not have to choose this. Chirabo is listening to this song as she's traveling to school. Yeah. <laughs> what I love about it is that uh, it's the irony. Chirabo's mother is so much in her mind. Chirabo's mother is very fictitious. And she feeds on that song, <laughs> you know? But there, 
bits of it they say the bits of it they say the when i they cry my mother go cry go carry me she go say no my bikini waiting you didn't cry yo yo romanticized mother you know and Chirabo is waiting for this mother and so as she travel in the car and she thinks about her mother and she thinks okay she my mother could be a teacher in the school where I'm going oh maybe her sister is a teacher in the school I'm going or maybe she has a sister in uh, as as a student in the school I, I might find her there but she has been creating this mother and we see her sometimes we see her legs as she's falling asleep and those legs are walking towards Chirabo and then they are blown away and then she has an afro like Diana Ross (laughs) (laughs) I like the the breadcrumb you gave us mm-hmm. when, like you said, Chirabo is obsessed with finding her mother, but she doesn't know anything about her mother. So she has to construct an image in her mind. Yeah. But then at the school, you gave us a breadcrumb. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and she was like, oh. Yeah. And I said, wow. I, and I was like, oh. And then you look back in the book and you're like, oh. <laughs> and then you get to the end, you're like, oh. it's like no word just sounds oh wow (laughs) look sarah when i was growing up it's those authors that drove me crazy you know (laughs) they they dangle dangle some little thing (laughs) why are you torturing me all i wanted was i'm paying you to torture me why this I paid for this book. Why am I putting myself through this? You know, just, 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 just let me know. But it's and that was the pleasure of reading for me. You know, and so yeah, I yeah I do feel like uh, wicked huh. when, <laughs> when I'm throwing those crumbs around. And I, you know, I, like I threw some crumbs in the earlier book. And they were right there in your face. I didn't even hide them. And I'm like, they're going to walk past these. And they're going to walk past that. And they're going, because Chirabo is walking past them as well. Can I, you mentioned you threw breadcrumb in the first book, Chintu. Yes. You see my face. Can I just tell you (laughs) that, while I thank you for the journey you took me on, I did not appreciate the emotional journey I went on. I didn't. I felt like I was going through a ringer, not just emotional, psychological, because Chinto to me is a very psychological book. 
It is. People call it yes. This you 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 give us a very a psychological tale through historical fiction. I feel like you're doing one thing. You're using historical fiction to tell us to delve into the mind. Yes. The theme of mental well-being and mental illness. Yes. Features a lot. Yes. And you do this in very in different ways. There's a character who you're concerned about if this character is going to self-harm. Yes. Because there's a dual personality going on there. Yes. You start Chintu with a foundation. In the same way Chintu is mentioned in the first woman. You're going yes. back to the first. Like you said, there's yes. a conversation taking place between both books, right? Yes. So you start in Chintu. We know that there are two women and these women are tied to each other. We know something happened in Chintu with the generation is cursed but yes. it is how this duality of this women's relationship mutates over time and manifests oh, yeah. in oh, future yeah. generation I oh, couldn't yeah. help seeing that connecting thread of this book finished but the spirit continues mm. <laughs> indeed you know what I was told that that's what made it a feminist novel because though Chintu is the first man on earth, when you come to the end, it's the women that have been recurring and recurring and recurring. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Uh, but the reveal at the end, though, I said, what is going on? I mean, there is, oh, the way the, oh, oh, I said, what? I know, I know. I know. Look, I do what other authors have done to me. Look, and <laughs> Look here is my philosophy. For people who love football, Okay, the pleasure of football is both the losses and the wins. Yeah, at the end of the season, when they look back, it's both the pain and the glory that makes that complete thing. And so is the same with the book. 
Yes, you're going to cry. Yes, parts of it are going to hurt. Now you tell us. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there are moments sometimes I'm reading a book and I put it down and I'm restless because I immerse myself in books like that. And I'm so restless and I'm so restless and I'm not going to touch that book again. I'm not going to read again. But then I can't keep away. Does your brain get hot? Because my brain gets hot when I'm just like, oh, 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 I need to come, please. Ice, oh yeah, come, please. Temple, ice, calm down, calm down, calm down. Oh, you know, let me tell you something. There's one part of June 2 that I wrote once. I couldn't bear to go back to it. Oh. Yeah. Pray tell. The tragedy. Oh, 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 okay, 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 okay. Let's talk about that tragedy. Did you know, like the tragedy at the beginning, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Did you know that there is a direct parallel between your writing of the Chintu, that the pre-tragedy? Yeah. Chintu and the two sons and and the family structure. There's a direct parallel with that and things fall apart. Did you know that? Yeah. Was that intentional? Well, well, well. I realized when I had finished writing it. <laughs> I realized, oh yeah. And I thought, okay, what is going on here? What is going on here? And then I just locked it up. But yes, yes, I can see there are two brothers, Ikemefuna and Noye. Yes. Oh, yeah. One year who went on to become obese father in No Longer At Ease. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, as I told you, when I said, and this is bizarre, because when I told you that I can put a book down and be restless, the one thing that I put a book down upon was Ikemefuna running to her, to his father. And I put the book down. And I went some, and I said, what is wrong with African writers? Because I was pretty young. <laughs> Why don't they write happy books? <laughs> Same. Why? Why would they do this to me? And I'm you know, circle. You know, and I remember my dad coming home and I followed him around. I remember following him around. Would he do this to me? Could he? And I remember for the first time, I noticed that my dad had very long, slender fingers. That is how much I was affected. But I went back to the book. (laughs) (laughs) When I tell you that I'm doing things that have been done to me (laughs) by authors, I know what I'm talking about. So when you mention things fall apart, and when I've just told you that I put down books, it's like get out of here how did you know (laughs) because you did the same thing to us thank you (laughs) yeah that is the connection so I took my pain of Ikemefuna and I said now is my chance to inflict it on somebody else oh my goodness we've talked about Chintu we've talked about the first woman great novels and then you bless us with a collection of short story in between both novels published as manchester happened in the uk and let's tell this story properly 
in America, which you alluded to earlier. So I asked you a very direct question. I said, if the characters in Manchester happened, slash, let's tell this story properly, could express the Ugandan migrant experience in Britain Mm -hmm. to their predecessors in Chintu and the first woman, which song would they choose? And what would they say to them? Ah, ah. <laughs> the song again. This this song is so similar to the lion sleeps tonight. It's so obvious because it's a title <laughs> of a short story. <laughs> yeah, in Manchester happened. You know, something inside so strong. Oh, Nabi Sifre. The higher you build your barriers The taller I become The farther you take my rights away The faster I will run You can deny me You can decide to turn Because this is a, a song that was written by a son of immigrants from Nigeria, okay? This song, I, I am telling you, it articulates every bit of my immigration experience. This is the song that I believe should be the theme song for Black Lives Matter. This is the song that perhaps could have been the song I would say yes to, to all those questions you've asked me before. Oh my days. This is the song, once I heard him sing it, I was like, why, why, why on earth did you allow? Who was he who sang it again? Labby Sifre. No, 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 the guy, the American country singer. How, how, how he took it in a very different direction in terms of messaging. So when you hear him sing it first, you don't realize what Labby was doing oh I, I i i got so angry with um kenny rogers kenny rogers yes, it is ken rogers i i would rather have people print out the uh lyrics mm. and read them and read the li- lyrics without the music and hear this guy w- is a poet. It, 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 it's, it is so beautiful. It, but also there's that African cry. Way, way, way. Ah. It, it, it says exactly what you feel, but it's so, so promising. So, um, I, I mean, listen to this. Uh, the higher you build your barriers, I know, the taller I become. 
Yeah. The further you take my rights away, the faster I run. Oh, I mean, I mean, you know, um, there's a part, you know, when I told you about the PhD, when I was told that um, I couldn't do the PhD and which I uh, later turned into part of it in the novel. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking to myself, he said, brothers and sisters, when they insist we are just not good enough, well, we know better. Just look them in the eye and say, we're going to do it anyway. We're going to do it anyway. And we're going to do it anyway. So I don't know, but I don't know. It's that song that says it better than you would have done if you wrote a novel. Mm. Um, it just leaves you speechless. I, I, and I couldn't wait to share it with the world. That just sticked to Labby's version because he wrote this song. That's the version on the playlist. Yeah. Um, I just listen to what he says. Um, oh God, you hide behind the walls of Jericho. It just brings um, tears to my eyes. I get so emotional about this song. It is everything I tried to do in that collection. And it was always there. I was always listening to it. I had included some lyrics and then I would remove them and then include them again and say, Jennifer, no, 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 no. You can't steal someone's uh, creativity and make it your own. Go write a better story. Just use the title. Um, I, at one point, I wanted to call the whole the whole collection, something inside so strong. But I thought no, that is someone's title. Oh, God. People listen to writers and poets and, and they realize, they, they marvel on how creative and intelligent, but man, this man is out there on his own. Because this, I don't remember when this song came out, but it's speaking to our time right now, right now. And it was used apparently in South Africa against apartheid, you know? So it's doing, it's a hardworking song. And, and, and my grandchildren who may be in, out here in the West, this song will still be speaking to them. And so, I want to thank Labisifre. I want to thank him for this for this song. It has kept me going for days. And, the, and thank you for asking, giving me a chance to talk about him. Thank you for sincerely. Thank you. I. It's like, yeah. I mean, forever immortalized in my heart. You are because you. I came to the conversation like. <laughs> And now it's like, oh my goodness, I met the queen and she's just as queenly and lovely and just, listen, I can't wait for my friends to be jealous of me when this episode goes out. 
I just, I've got all the brownie points in the world. Oh, thank you. Thank you for asking. Because you've spoken so expansively about the song, mm-hmm. can you contextualize the book in relation to the song? For people who haven't read your short story collection or who have only been, been introduced to you through your short story collection, and, and also given that Manchester Happened is based in the present. Yeah, yeah. And your two novels are based in the past. The first woman begins in 1975. Mm-hmm. How does Manchester Happen speak to both novels? How do they speak to each other in the context of Ugandan migrant experience in the UK? Because that is the subject matter to me. That's like the main theme yeah. of, of this short yeah. story collection. Um, it's... it's um... My all my characters, whether in, in the short stories or in the novel, they are fighting against something. There's something that they want to acquire. Okay. Um uh, uh, yes, she's looking for her mother, but she's looking for that equality, that elusive equality that her grandmothers did have her grandmother couldn't have that Nsuta has managed to steal for her own but she's paying the price of being a pariah and also being called a witch you know but uh, it's that place that they are all walking towards a place uh, that wonderful place of of fulfillment. Mm. Um, um, the, 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 the migrant is, is a, that being accepted, you know? But uh, in my novels, it's that, uh, that search for equality or, or that uh, desire to shake off a, a, a cause. You know, and that in a way is not so different from the whole post, that colonial um, baggage that we carry with, with us. That the idea that when they first met us, they questioned our humanity, that they questioned our intelligence our culture, but also our history. And so we are always carrying this burden with us of, first of all, of of convincing ourselves, of reminding ourselves, perhaps we've convinced ourselves, perhaps we know ourselves, but often they make us doubt, okay? And we, we, we need to remind ourselves that we are, or we are, and we are enough. What we are is enough and is valid. And it, it, but also that idea for me as an author that I can write, I can have the privilege of writing without reacting to the West. Mm that my literature stops being reactionary because every time I react to them, I validate them and bring them into my world. And I would like to write the way 
they write their world, you know, without this double vision having to look that way and look that way. Because you know what? There's so much going in without, within my world, within Africa, that I need to talk about. But I, 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 it's, it's as if I must, again, make sure that they are not, you know, how can I leave them out? Because they have described me in such a way that I am either pre-colonial, colonial, post-colonial. Post -colonial. Mm. Yeah. So how do I leave them out? And I'm just me. I'm just, I'm Ganda, I'm just African. I'm just, just me. Mm. Writing for the pleasure of it and for the joy of it. Absolutely. Whether it's taking on the African patriarchy, fine. But th there's no, I'm not looking around at them. I'm just me, do you know? So it's, it's, it, when when I look at the themes or, or what my characters are doing, but also what I as an author am doing, we all those three entities, we are walking towards that self-realization -re that we are enough, that we are complete, that nobody defines us. Uh, I've been talking about how moisturized I've been through our conversation, but now I'm immersed in share butter. Final question. I asked you to pick a book or a list of books, if you prefer, mm -hmm. that you will recommend to readers who wish to explore more of the Ugandan literary landscape paired yes. with a song that conveys your perception. Okay. Um, and that was... <laughs> I decided to go for a list of books. You dare say a list of books? <laughs> you read my mind because I was like, it wouldn't be presumptive to ask for a list. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. You'd never give an offer this room to, to, to say whatever. So the first book I went for was Gorich Chomhenda's Waiting. Uh, it is it, set in the Ugandan 1979 war. Uh, getting rid of uh, Idi Amin. So parts of the country were uh, liberated first. And where Goretti comes from, that is in the Southwest. It took a long time to get there. And so they were still under Idi Amin, but the rest of the country, part of the country has been uh, liberated. And, and that, that's a dangerous space to be. So she wrote about that waiting for liberation to arrive. That's the first one. The second one is A Hundred Days. This is a collection of uh, uh, poems by Julianne Betek. Now, as you can hear, Julianne is, um, is a- Ocot uh, Betek. Royal, yeah, the literary, <laughs> the royal literary, um, clan take and so she she too writes uh, poetry and she also uses the actually um, oral traditions indeed and a hundred days is set in um, the uh, Rwanda genocide but she connects it to what happened among the actually uh, during the Oconi um, the Connie troubles um, and also 
uses some of her experiences of exile. Then the other one is Flame and Song by Philippa Kabalikagwa. Philippa also comes from royal literary clan, uh, um, Henry Barlow, one of my favorite poets uh, in Uganda. And she writes uh, this memoir of Uganda, of her life in Uganda in the 60s and 70s, and how her how her family was kept together through poetry, through through music, um, and how uh, then her life as she started to migrate around Africa. There's uh, the Kingdom of Gravity, that is by Nick Makoha. Nick is also is also based here in Britain, and he writes again about um, the war, or Idi Amin's war again. But for him, he's talking about um, the horrors of the war, but, but he's also talking about the, the, the migration to escape the war and the pain then that comes with that. And finally is Peter Kagai, uh, the headline that morning and other poems. Now, Peter, out of all the people I've mentioned, is the only one based in Uganda. Mm. Yes, and Peter is a, is, a, is a performer. You know, poetry is supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be performed. So uh, is, you're better off getting the CD. Yeah, yeah, he is a powerful performer. But what uh, Kagai is doing is recording what is going on right now. Because for those of us who have left the country, we tend to write historical or historically, you know, we, we, we retrieve those because we are not there. But Kagai is recording what is going on now. And he focuses on love, on uh, politics, on um, the social norms and culture and on disillusionment. Um, but uh, he is doing something really exciting because those are the people who are keeping the, the, the Uganda going mm. by being there and entertaining and telling and suggesting and doing, you know, because my, my novel is going to travel from Britain and arrive, you know, but Kagai is there. He's doing, he's doing the li heavy lifting, uh, you know. And uh, the song is Carry On by Fun. This is the song um, that I find myself listening to when um, when I'm down in the dumps. Mm. Yeah, um, for some reason it it, it 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 lifts me up. It's not an up tempo kind of song, but it lifts me up and it tells me you can do it. You can do it. And because um, Ugandan writing is not 
we are not yet there like you Nigerians. You, you <laughs> oh, let me tell you, sometimes I hate you Nigerians. Sometimes I, I have to say this to you. Sister, every time a short list is put out, you have to count the Nigerians and cross them out. And by the time you're done with the Nigerians, there are two left, two spaces left for the rest of the 50 countries. The only reason that I put up with it is that for a long time, Nigerian literature was African literature. <laughs> Where is the lie? Nary a lie can be found at all, at all. <laughs> so uh, I say, okay, yes, the Wole Shoyinka, the Chinua Chebe, and all of them, they carried the torch for Africa for a very long time. So I was Ugandan, but when I was asked about uh, what is what 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 novels do you know? Yeah, things fall apart, and of course my my uncle Omwalimu Nguji, and, and so yes, but my goodness, um, you 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 sometimes when I have to recommend books, I have to go back and say how many of them are Nigerian. Now, good, Jennifer, can you go and look for a, a book in Zambia, in Zimbabwe, and <laughs> before the Nigerians take over? <laughs> oh, it's not our fault. But I do think that we had an unfair advantage that Juno Achebe was the editor, um, the advisory editor for Heidemann African Writer Series. They're true, but also, you, you, you know what Chinua Chebe said that when um, a big goat is re reaching up for the um, larger leaves, the young one is watching. Those institutions did so much that, um, because Nigerians were, young Nigerians were growing up thinking, I can be a Chebe, yeah, I can be well Chebe, yeah, 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 no big deal. Yeah, All I had was called Pabitek. Yeah, but you had Tobani Leongo. I, I, I did, uh, but they were not uh, acclaimed around the world the way Achebe. So we, we studied Nigerian literature. Ooh. Yes, I studied uh, Okot Pabitek's songs and uh, they, uh, the way he writes and the, um, especially explicitly. I, I, I attribute that to him. But um, for a long time, we did a lot of Nigerian literature, and I am um, I don't regret it. I enjoyed it. So the reason I asked that question because the question was a song that conveys your perception of and your hope for Ugandan literary trajectories. We know that Kenya, South Africa, Nigeria dominates. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, continental and diaspora African landscape and it's opening up now Zimbabwe too I mustn't forget Zimbabwe yeah yeah so what is your your perception of and your hope for the trajectory of Ugandan um, literary space and also if you have any resources that curious people can tap into where they might be introduced to more work yeah. by Ugandan writers okay um, again I think because we've had more successful poets than authors, than novelists. Um, we have more poets. As you could see, I, there were more poet, po collections of poet, poetry in uh, the books are recommended. So um, we have 
a lot of poets and I'm not worried about that, but um, I'd like uh, for novelists to pick up in Uganda. Um, there are novelists, don't misunderstand me, but most of those novels have only been published in Uganda and then they publish only one, um, uh, they, they don't, not reissued. So it's, it becomes very hard to recommend them. So those are mainly novels by femright or sometimes novels are self-published and they don't have access to editing, to that fantastic editing and also uh, marketing that someone like me has had. So my hope is that um, as we dreamt that we could get a few more Ellas because the, the writers are there in Uganda, they're there, but what they lack are people who are going to edit them. But also um, and perhaps I would hope to have uh, creative writing courses in Uganda. So, and also in Africa, so that we don't have people paying so much money to Western institutions to come out here to study creative writing. You know, and then sometimes it's not very helpful. Look how long it took me. So- um, And replicate Western um, systems so as well. My hope uh, is that mm. we, we get more novelists, um, published and get more novels, but also so a few novels scattered around the ethnicities, because you know I grew up aware of the Igbo and I was aware of the Flani and I was aware of the um, Yoruba, you know. But I'm in Uganda, and I, I would like people to know that about us and say, okay, this is Ugandan literature, but this is in this is Ganda, this is Yoru, this is uh, a Choli. You know that 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 kind of thing. So, so the the song of fun was about that. I know you're there, but sometimes you feel like you can't carry on. That your your fight you you're, you're just hitting against a wall. And so this, for me, the song was talking to the authors and to the poets in Uganda, uh, just to carry on that, that, that um, they can do it and they will do it. Uh, and we just have to get together and work out which pathways, because mine was Wavukwani. Um, I can't stop talking about that. That was my pathway. But what kind of pathways uh, would be available for other Ugandans? Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Books and Rhymes. Follow at Books and Rhymes on Twitter and Instagram to stay abreast of conversations on classic and contemporary works by African writers. Until then, please stay safe, take care and live your best, beautiful, exquisite and restful lives. All the very best. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.